Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wave at me if you're happy. Okay, some of you guys, you need some help. I'm, I'm going to pray for you while I'm preaching. <laughs> uh, we're starting a new series today called The Promise, obviously. Um, and as you know, if you've been around traditional church, this is a season called Advent. Uh, Advent's a very interesting time of year. It's a season about four, the four weeks leading up to Christmas where there are certain themes that you, you think about and, and, uh, and get ready for. But primarily, um, the church for hundreds of years has celebrated Advent. And what they're celebrating is the coming of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus as a baby, of course. And then also the hope of the second coming of Jesus. So the first coming, he comes as a baby. He lays his life down on the cross. And the second coming, he, he's, he's coming in power. He's coming in majesty. He's coming to set things, all the things right. So it's a powerful, powerful thing that we celebrate. And so as we go into this season, my prayer is that we'll discover a God really who not just makes promises, but who's able to keep them as well. So Christmas is upon us, obviously. Uh, we're starting a little bit early, uh, starting Christmas series in November. It's the end of November, of course, but we're starting now. Um, and I know a bunch of you guys uh, started Christmas at Halloween. Raise your hand if you're that weirdo, right? <laughs> yes, I know. My wife, too. So she tends to start singing Christmas songs in the summertime, which is weird. I'll come in sometimes, and I'm like, what in the whole world is that? It's, of course, in Dothan, it's the summertime at Christmas, too, so that's kind of weird. But... Um, I, I just think about the time when I was a kid, uh, we were all, have all this preparation, getting ready for Christmas. Um, there's decorations, uh, we put up the tree, um, you know, there's so many different things that we would do. Um, I would, I would so excited about whatever I was asking for for Christmas, you know, am I going to get that thing that I've been, you know, I've been praying for? Well, I didn't pray for it, but <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't a Christian then. But I'm like, I want it so badly, am I going to get it, you know, and my parents weren't, they weren't very, um, uh, wealthy, but they would do their best to try to get us, especially at Christmas, try to get us things that we wanted. And, uh, and I always thought, you know, I'm going to get whatever that, that thing is. And then the next question is, am I, am I going to shoot my proverbial eye out with whatever that I got, right? And typically I did, because I remember one Christmas, I got a, a, a little dirt bike, a little 50cc dirt bike, and then um, immediately launched myself over the front bars. Anybody else do that? Uh, nobody gave me a safety briefing about that front brake, but I, I learned pretty quick and didn't have to worry about that another time. That was kind of the end of that. But here's the thing. Waiting is at the heart of Christmas. Like there, there's something about the anticipation sometimes is actually maybe even as powerful as what happens when you get the thing that you've been anticipating, right? There's, some, there's a, a longing that begins to build in you, and, the, and it seems like the longer that goes, it's, it's an angst, but it's also an anticipation of when this gets here. And, you know, in this world sometimes... When we get that, we're disappointed because it doesn't live up to the expectation. But I think the cool thing about this season of Advent is God will live up to his expectation. You know, so sometimes we expect less of God than he actually wants to give us. So Advent's a season, and, and it's actually a word that comes from a Latin word that means the coming or the arrival. So it's this picture of, again, Jesus um, the expect expectation that Jesus is coming, and he's already come as a baby, and then there, now as believers, there's this, there's this longing inside of us of, of the things not yet, you know, the things that we have, the things that we celebrate, the joy that we see God moving in our lives now, but then there's, a, there's, a, there's something inside of us, if there's a hope inside of us that's not yet met. Um, and you feel it, especially when the world is ugly and it and it's, can be really, really up, ugly out there, we can feel it even more then. So 
this morning, I was, we want us to go after this theme of hope, this, this theme in Advent of hope. What does, the, what does hope look like? So it's a word we use all the time, especially around the Christmas season. I hope grandma doesn't burn the ham or get run over by suspiciously irresponsible reindeer. I hope this tree fits. I hope I get what I want for Christmas. I hope it snows this year. Give that up in Dothan, right? But, but the thing is, if, if, if all it is is just trivial things that we're wishing for, we've really lost the depth of the theme of hope. You know, it's like I want, I, I wish, I have desires, but, but there's something more powerful. And Scripture actually goes after this. The, the word hope in Scripture is different than how we think about it usually. So there's this passage in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1.13. It says, um, gird up the loins of your mind. Isn't that a strange phrase? I remember the first time I read that. I'm like, I don't know what loins are, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's got nothing to do with your mind. So gird, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, and listen to this. It says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? So it says, gird up the loins of your mind. So it's really interesting about this passage. Um, when I read this the first time, I'm like, I have to go look that up because I don't know what that means. Um, I ended up in Desert Storm at one point in, in, when I was in the military, uh, uh, in the desert, and, uh, and I, I noticed these guys were long dresses. <laughs> like, that's what I thought. They were tunics, and they, were, they seemed too thick. Like, why are you wearing something so hot in the desert? And what, you know, their arms are covered, and obviously when the sun's constantly beating down, it's, you know, that's actually the better way to do it. But it was free underneath, right? Allowed the breeze, if you will, to kind of come in. <laughs> but if they needed to do something quickly, or if there was danger, they did from time immemorial, they would do something called gird up their loins. And what they would do, here's a picture of it, by the way, um, if you want to learn a little more about it um, on the art of manliness of all things, artofmanliness.com. You can go find out how to gird up your loins. <laughs> Their version of it is just be a man, you know, man up. So, but what you do is you'd grab that tunic from the bottom and you'd pull it up around close to your waist and you'd tie it under your belt and it would basically create shorts. So it would get your legs free so that you were ready for action. So that's the picture of what this, this passage talks about, the girding up of your loins. And so the idea behind it is, let me read it again because it's really interesting. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. So, so prepare for action. Get ready for something. Why? And then it answers it with this. Rest your hope upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, you, that hope is not just something that's in the future, but it's here and now as well. And so the version of hope in the Bible is, hope is not a, a wish, wishful thinking of something that's going to happen in the future. No, no. Hope is so powerful and the anticipa anticipation is so strong that we know that it actually draws sometimes things from the future into the present. And you literally have to be ready for action to walk into the hope that God has called you to. So we're going to get into that in just in just a second. So our hope's not just meant to be something that only impacts our future, but it should also impact our present as well. And hope really is a, it's a certainty about the future that really goes after where we are now. So what you're trusting the Lord for, what you're hoping into, the promise is sure. And because the promise is from someone who doesn't break their promises, there's something that happens now that you don't actually have to wait for. And so that's what we want to talk a little bit about. There's a reason for our hope. We talked about, um, talked about this in a couple of sermons back. 
But our hope, our hope is actually set not in ambiguous, uh, wishful thinking, but it's set in moments in history. So Jesus was actually born. There's no, there's no scholar who actually disputes that the Jesus we all trust in as, as believers was actually born in the time that he said that the Bible says that he was born in. There's too many accounts from outside of Scripture that speak to that as well. So we know that that's, our hope is set in an actual moment in history. Right, And so that's a beautiful thing to understand that our hope isn't built on something that may or may not occur, right? So um, we have this room in our house, Karen and I. Um, we, we call it an office, but it's not an office. It's got a desk in it, but the desk is piled with stuff. So it's, it's basically a storage room, right? And so it's going to be an office. That's the hope, <laughs> right? We've, we've got uh, paintings for it. We've got, you know, a desk. We've got, uh, I've got pencils. I mean, I'm ready. It's, it's. But it's four years <laughs> since we moved into the house, and it, it became a storage bin partly because, you know, uh, Karen's mom passed away, uh, her dad passed away. Um, I got real sick at one point, and it just so every time we'd get ready to do this thing, it just wouldn't happen. And then uh, things would happen in our life, and some aspect of our life we had to move into that room, right? And so, so it's been a storage room, but it's an office, and that's what we say it is. And so here's the thing. There is a hope in me <laughs> that during this this Christmas holiday, there's actually going to be time, and we've talked about a plan, so we're actually going to do it. So check with me after the first of the year and find out whether I was a liar or not. But, but my hope that that's going to happen is it's been there for four years. One day, I'm going to have an office, because here's what happens. I, come, I, I work from home sometimes, and I'm like, I'm like Karen, I, I, I don't like working from home because you interrupt me. She says, I do not interrupt you. I'm like, honey, I know you don't think you do, but you walk by me, and you might go an hour. And then you're such a people person that at some point, you just, whatever's in your head, you have to talk about it to somebody. And I'm the only somebody in the room besides the dogs, right? So, so she'll say something to me. And as you know, that interruption, then I'm like 20 minutes. I'm like, I, I want to be gracious and listen to her. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like, what was I studying? I cannot remember what passage of scripture I was on. I have to start all over again. So when I get this office, guys, my sermons are going to be so much better. You don't even know. <laughs> so here's the thing. <laughs> I have a hope because of a future reality that is reshaping my present circumstances. So listen, I'll say that again. I wrote it down so, so I could say it twice. I have hope because of a future reality that is reshaping my present circumstances. So this is kind of a biblical understanding of hope. My hope is in the fact that over the holidays, we're going to clean that room out and get it organized that future is impacting me now. So there's an anticipation where before is a little bit of anxiety, like we're, it's never going to happen, <laughs> right? And now, because that hope is becoming realized, something about that, all of a sudden, I feel now as if I've already done it. See how that hope works? It's moving, it's from the future, but it's moved into my present to the point where it's literally shaping the circumstances around my life. So there's some really interesting Old Testament promises. You see this throughout the Bible, prophecies. I, I did a whole message one time and talked about um, the, the, the numeric aspect of the prophecies around Jesus and the fact that you know, if you just took eight Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, uh, on the odds of those things, of those eight coming true in any one person were astronomical. It's one of the reasons why I was super skeptical about becoming a believer. And when I really began to understand the math, and I'm not a big math person, but math is pure, right? You can, you can argue about philosophy all day long, but you can't argue about math. So when I began to understand how prophecies were so 
the promises and of the prophecies were so pure and so true that there was really no way I could, I could get away from the idea that Jesus was actually the Messiah, and he, and he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he was going to do, right? So there are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament, um, and, and a lot of people put their faith and their trust in those prophecies that were coming to pass in the future. So that's basically what the Old Testament prophecies were. So there's this man named Simeon. And so Simeon uh, is a character that shows, shows up in the New Testament in Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. So uh, Jesus has been born. Joseph and Mary take him um, to the temple to do, uh, to do the custom that happens at that time. And, and there's a man named Simeon who happens to be there at the same day. So what's fascinating about Simeon is Simeon, a lot of, a lot of people believe that Simeon was probably close to 100 years old. So, so that's already a pretty amazing feat in today's standards, but you imagine back then um, the average life, lifespan was not anywhere near 50 years old. So to live 100 years was a, a really, really big thing. And so the thing about Simeon is Simeon had seen life happen to himself in Israel for 100 years or more. And so he had experienced um, wars against Israel. He had experienced the occupation of Rome coming in and taking over Judea and the entire, basically the entire world at the time. And all of these promises that God had made that Messiah was coming, that he's going to rescue them from the oppressors, because they'd seen the Assyrians do it, the Babylonians do it. He was, he was privy to all the promises that had not yet come to pass, right? The Messiah had been promised. And so on this day, he ends up at the temple at the same time Jesus does as about a month old baby or so, right? So let me just pick up his story in Luke chapter 2. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's worth reading. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What a thing to say. You can, I can finally die, <laughs> right? Like, I've been hanging on this whole time, and I can finally die in peace because the promise you've given me has now come to pass, right? He goes on, he says, um, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so here's this prophetic word. And so imagine there's a, 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 a passage in Scripture in Isaiah 9-2 that was probably central to the, to the promises that God had given um, Simeon, to give the people of Israel. But Simeon, I promise you, that was a central prayer that he prayed out of Isaiah. And 9-2 is probably the one that he prayed often. And it was this, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So Simeon, imagine this. I mean, it's hard to imagine what he was going through. It's really, uh, I mean, think about the phrase that he uses, verse 29. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, uh, you, there was a promise that I've been holding out for, I've been anticipating, waiting on this promise. 
And he says, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Um, one, one, uh, one preacher said it this way. I'm trying to think. Of, I can't remember who it was, but this is what he said. He said, it's like the release of a sentinel from duty. So imagine Simeon standing on the wall, like a watchman on the wall, waiting for a promise to come. He's not, he's not looking for the enemy to come, although the enemy keeps coming, Right? He's looking for the Savior to come over the top of the mountain or come over the top of the rise to rescue him from all the, the, the enemies of Israel, all the enemies of hope, all the enemies of God. And he's been waiting on that for over a hundred years. And he's moved by the Spirit one day to go to the temple, and there he's standing there when they bring Jesus in, and Jesus is less than a month old, and he recognizes him. Fascinating. He recognizes him. Can you imagine what must have happened in his heart when he realized this child is the hope that I've been holding out for all these years? And that prayer, I promise you, that prayer in, in Isaiah came to his heart. The land that sat in darkness. There's a deep, deep darkness that had settled over Israel. As a matter of fact, up till that time, for 400 years, there had been no prophetic voice in the land of Israel. Four hundred years, 300 years before Simeon, <laughs> and then the hundred years of his life, all of the prophecies were at least 300 years old for him. Promises the Messiah was going to come, and he'd seen the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Well, he hadn't, but he'd know, he knew the Assyrians and the Babylonians had come and, and, and brought um, devastation to the people of Israel. And here he sees this baby, and in a moment he recognizes what must have happened in his heart. Well, part of that we see in the prayer. He prays over this baby, right? And he says some really challenging things that Mary, the Bible says that Mary took that and hid it in her heart. And on the day that Jesus was crucified, I would imagine that that word Simeon had given her 30-something years before came back really, really strong. These prophecies, these hopes, right? That, that we're in, this, in these moments of desperation, there's something that's promised that's even more. And I imagine the, the pain and the heartache that his mother must have felt on the day that he's crucified. How, how powerful must it have been on that third day when she saw him walking into the room again, right? Imagine, the, imagine all the hope and the hope seemingly dis, just broken, and it's like he's dead. I mean, how, how, how broken is your hope when your hope is dead? <laughs> well, it turns out it's not too broken for God, right? So hope, and this, this is what you see with, with this, this guy Simeon, that his hope was birthed out of something that was, it was a deep longing and a desperate need in his own heart for the comfort and the consolation of Israel, the Bible says. It wasn't comfort, you know, you know, pat you on the back kind of comfort. It was really a rescuing and a release from the bondage and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and all the things that were trying to strangle your hope out. And so in this deep longing and desperation, his hope is birthed in such a powerful way. So Luke tells us that Simeon was waiting at the temple for something very, very specific. And this encouragement, this hope, is what he was waiting for. And again, he'd seen all these people come against him, and then in a moment he sees, he sees Jesus, and, and he, he captures who he is. And then the word that Luke uses, he said he was waiting. It's a very specific word. It literally means to give access to oneself, right? It's the kind of waiting you do from the deepest part of yourself. It's a waiting that involves a sort of pain. It's an awareness of our deep need for something. It's a waiting that hurts. Can anybody relate? 
<laughs> Lord, I long for. Lord, you promised me, right? I, 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 I sense it in my spirit. I feel it, this promise of something, and yet I'm not seeing it come to pass. And there's this, there's this, this angst with the promise battling against unbelief and fear. Will it ever come to pass, right? So here's the thing. During the leading up to Christmas, I want to challenge you guys. As we come into this series, we go through this. I want to challenge you guys to allow yourself to feel the deep need you have for God. Because here's what we do. So many of us, when we get a sense of our need, we feel it, especially during the Christmas season, we feel it with shopping. We feel it with, you know, going around, hanging out, grabbing a coffee with somebody, uh, being with the kids, being with the family, any distraction. And if we're honest, sometimes... Um, There's a place of loneliness that ends up with drinking maybe a little more than we should, some kind of substance abuse, something to take the mind off of. I I can't think about whatever these challenges are. So instead of leaning into our deepest need for God's comfort and healing in our lives, what we do is we distract ourselves, and in the end, we miss the hope that's being offered in Jesus. So when we feel that deep need, what we do is we just like judo. (laughs) We push it off the side, flip it over, and then go about our business. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. Don't do that. When you feel that, take a minute and and have a conversation with yourself, right? Dave said he talks to himself all the time. That is true. My wife does it way more than me, but I do it, right? But sometimes I, I, I ask myself, why is that feeling coming up? Where's that coming from? And, you know, during our, our worship time, um, we raise a hallelujah in the middle of the storm. It was a perfect picture of this sermon today, right? What's the storm? Well, what is pushing back against your hope? What's, what is it? Do you, is it something where you look at God and go, God, you promised, and what you're really saying is you're, you're a liar. You promised, and I'm not seeing it come to pass. So because of that, the enemy comes in and he uses the, the tactic that he's literally been using since the, book, the beginning of the book of Genesis. Did God really say? And that's actually not a bad question. Because as a mature believer, what you do is you begin to answer the question with, yes, he did. Right? Because there's been enough evidence in your life where you've seen him come through in other ways that you know that the promise he's given you is available to you. The only way that you don't get that promise fulfilled is if you don't believe that God is able and willing to fulfill it. So remember when Jesus, is, he's, he's, he's accosted by this man who asked him to heal, and he said, God, if you would, would you heal? Now think about that question for a second. If you want to, you could. So we all get to that place when it comes to healing or trusting the Lord for the promises. Well, I believe he can, but that's not the same thing as believing he will, right? So believing he can is distant. Believing he will is you touched his garment and you felt something happen, right? You felt something beginning. So that's the promise. So the ancient prayer of Advent is, come, Lord Jesus, come. It's actually a scripture you see in the book of Revelation. That that there has to be a desire in your heart for the hope that is to come. And the hope isn't a thing or a better life. The hope is him because in him are all those things, right? Right? So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred in Nazi Germany for the sake of Christ, says of Advent, this season of the year, he says the only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them, whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. There's this sense of anticipation that 
I have it, but I don't have it yet. It's been a promise, but it's been promised by the one who always keeps his promises. So I can trust him and I can believe in him even before I see the promise. So may this Advent season for you be different than maybe it has been in the past. Don't allow yourself to be distracted or to self-soothe. Don't do it. Go deep. Go deep and find out where this hope is found and find out even if you're feeling like this hope is never coming, ask that question as well. So the thing is, hope is found in our deepest longing, but our hope is also comes from a person. We find that in Jesus. Peter, in 1 Peter, we're told that the hope is not set in some kind of empty, wishful thinking because if it was, our hope ends only in despair and disappointment. Paul said that. He said, if, if we as believers... If this is not true about what happened with Jesus, then we, our believers, are the ones we are, are, are most to be pitied in the world because we're, we're resting our hope in something that's just not true, right? So our hope isn't in that, though. It's not in, in empty promises. It's in the promises that God sent his son. Our hope is actually in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in our 401K. It's not in a relationship. It's not a job. It's not even a president. It's not even a good medical report. Our hope is in Jesus and his promise that in the future, he will restore everything that is broken. That's his promise in you and in me and in the world. So, Simeon, out of all these people, you see this in Israel, um, Israel missed the Messiah. Think about this for a second. They've been promised this Messiah uh, a thousand years of prophetic words over them as a, as a nation that the Messiah would come, the Messiah shows up on their doorstep, and they flat out miss who he is. He's doing signs and wonders and miracles. The things he's saying, um, they even say of themselves, only God could bring these truths about. And yet, to believe that he was Messiah went against all the things that they thought the Messiah was, against, was, was going to be. So why did Simeon get it right? when so many of, is, of the Israelites got it wrong? What was it about Simeon that allowed him to see, even in a baby, the hope and the promise of who God said he was going to be? And the short answer is because people were looking for something Jesus wasn't. And we still do that today. They wanted a political warrior king. Now make no mistake, he will be. That's also promised in, in the prophecies. But they wanted a political warrior king who would overthrow the oppressors of the Jews and put them on top. To put it in today's language, we want a political Jesus who will get our party in to solve all the problems that we have. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Even if that did happen, your party is going to create just as many problems as they solve, I promise. Because they're human beings with broken hearts, right? They didn't expect the Messiah, to be a tiny baby who would come and instead of exerting his power, he would actually give himself up on a cross. For the people who missed Jesus, it was because their hope was in their specific expectations. Not who God said he would be, but what they wanted him to be. And don't we find ourselves doing the same thing? It was how they wanted him to look, how they wanted things to change in their favor, but when Jesus failed to meet these expectations, they literally missed him altogether. But Simeon had a different kind of hope. When our hope is placed in anything other than the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus Christ, we tend to settle for hope in lesser things, right? These things always fail and always lead to frustration. 
this morning, in the midst of whatever you're going through, as we said earlier, whatever your storm is, where do you find your hope? Do you find your hope? Is it based in something you want God to do, or is it based in God himself? So I'm going to take a second and let you just think about that. When you think about the things you're hoping for, better job, you know, a little more money, better place to live, nicer car, some security, <laughs> right? Extra money, you know, some money in the bank, so I'm not concerned about the future. So is your hope based in what God is going to do for you, or is your hope based in him? Because if you put your hope in what he's going to do for you, and you got it wrong, because <laughs> his methodologies, I don't know if you've discovered this yet, but his methodologies may different, be different than what you actually expect him to do. The better thing to do is just place your hope in him and say, God, I'm not sure how this works, but I'm going to follow hard after you. And when you, do, when you do that, that's when you begin to see the hope fulfilled. So here's the beauty um, of the season, the beauty and the dark side of the season, is that during this time, during the season of Advent, during this Christmas season, the good of life and the bad of life are both exaggerated or amplified, right? So in no other time of the year are we more aware of the problems we can't solve, the people we can't control, the expectations we can't meet. There are problems that are decades in the making that you're not going to be able to fix overnight, but you're going to notice them because of the season we're in, right? There are people in your life whom you will not be able to save during the holidays. And there are expectations that you will try so hard to meet for someone else in your family, and you will never be able to do it. Because their expectation is in something that is impossible for you. But here's the thing. That is not where your hope is. There's a difference in being hopeful for something and being hopeful in something. So choose this year to face this deep longing. And while we're doing this, while we're facing this deep longing, while we're waiting, we don't wait without being active, right? Those who wait upon the Lord, their strength gets new. There's a difference between just sitting idly by and doing nothing and waiting in the terms of like waiting on a table. You're serving at the same time. So during this season, my challenge is don't just sit idly and wait and hope, but do something about it. Be ready for what God's going to do. So think of it this way. It's, it's like a couple who, who find out they're pregnant, and so now there's a hope within her, at least, <laughs> right? But a hope within them. This baby is coming, and, and it's, it's coming. It's like you can say it's not coming all you want, but it's coming, right? And it, it's, gonna, it's nine months away, potentially. So what do you do? You just sit there and go, well, I hope everything works out for this baby. No. You go through the house. You baby-proof everything, right? You maybe paint a room. You get the room ready. You get some sleep because for sure you're not going to get sleep once that baby comes, right? <laughs> but, but you are actively participating in the hope that's in you. See how that works? And so that's the challenge we have today. Is it, what is it that you're going to do while you're waiting for the consolation of Israel, while you're waiting for God to fulfill the hope that you sense and feel in you? Is there something that you can do? Is there a person you can forgive? Is there a person that you can seek forgiveness from? What is it that you're going to do? Could you press into God? Could you read your Bible? Could you change the patterns of your life and do something differently? Could you change, maybe take, you know, be a part of a small group that teaches about finances, that changes the way you think about money? What about relationship? Are you going to build into a relationship? Or are you just going to sit idly by and go, God, you said, you know, you said uh, you're going to send me a wife. And the Bible says if you find a wife, <laughs> you find a good thing. In other words, there's some expectation that you're looking, 
Maybe don't look in dark bars where you can't see who they are and they're drunk. That's probably not a good way to find a wife, right? But be actively participating in building those relationships. Maybe, again, it's seeking forgiveness. Maybe it's something that's a pattern in your life that you're saying, God, there's something going on here that keeps stealing my inheritance and my joy. What is going on here that I can go after? So don't just wait, but wait actively. So I want to close with two things. One's this, if you know Jesus, there is a hope that's in you. And two, if you know Jesus, there's a hope that comes through you. So let me just finish out with this. When the feelings are amplified in the positive, there's nothing like it. During this holiday season, all these things, all these emotions get amplified. We know that. There's a sense of hope that everything you look at is going to work out, right? It's amazing. It's unhurried time with friends and family. I mean, maybe not all the time, but this moment where you're like, I've got time for coffee. You know, I'm off work for a little bit. A sense of thankfulness, kindness that you give and you feel good about giving it. You know, you buy the person's coffee behind you or whatever. Um, But also kindness received when someone is kind to you and it was unexpected. That That sense of being amplified, the goodness in the world. We want it to last forever and truthfully, that is the part that will last forever because God is good. So don't dismiss those feelings. But when the feelings are amplified in the negative, there's also nothing like it. (laughs) The depth of the loss and how we miss those who are no longer with us. It's so deep. And it's deeper still in the holidays when you remember those times together, right? That loss is so deep. A deep loneliness sometimes that persists even when people are all around you. A desire for material things that seems to never be satisfied. It's like, if I get this, this is going to be, it's going to make me happy. And then you get it, and it doesn't do for you what you expected it to do. So here's the thing. Don't dismiss either one of those feelings. Don't use distraction or any other thing to take your mind off the negative feelings. And don't gloss over what happened when someone was kind to you. Because the amplification is designed for the amplification. (laughs) It's designed to get you to take a look at what's going on. It's a moment in time that God's trying to get your attention about whether there's a negative sense of the loss and the fear and of all those things and what fights against your hope or the positive things that reminds you of why that hope is there and what it's for. So let that deep longing meet something deeper still. There's this beautiful passage in Psalm 42.7 that says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And this concept of a deep need that calls for an even deeper remedy. The only one who can fulfill a longing that deep has to be big enough to fulfill it. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. There is a hope, lastly, that comes through you. And as that hope begins to be realized in you, when you begin to find wholeness in Christ, when all the things that you had expectations in that have let you down, you let those things go and you begin to to lean into the only one who can actually fulfill those needs inside of you. Something begins to happen. Remember that scripture in Isaiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The light in you that Jesus is forming in you, that it's, sh- it's shining out more and more because you're realizing more and more of that hope and it's coming to pass inside of you. The deep longing is being met by something deeper still or someone deeper still. You get to be that light to other people. Now, here's the thing. They still have to choose what they're going to do with that light. But how will they see that light 
if you're not there to shine it. There's this really interesting passage in 2 Corinthians. It says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Hear that? He said there's an aroma that comes up out of our lives as believers. It's aroma of life unto life, one version says, or death unto death. It goes on, it says, to the one, to the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? In other words, you can't do that. What that does, that, that Jesus is out of you, that was my experience. A guy named Tom McWaters, he was a sergeant in the Air Force, and he was my supervisor. And I came to that duty station when he was, we, he was actually back in, in Florida getting married, uh, Eglin Air Force Base, and then he came back a month later, and I was already there, and he was my supervisor, and they kept telling me, Tom is really weird, man. He's just, we can't explain, but he's really weird. And I'm like, that's so awesome that I get a weird supervisor. Isn't that wonderful? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys are that weird supervisor, and you need to do something about it, but that's another story. So I, I'm thinking this is going to be great. And I met Tom, and he was his, he's, he's still, like, he's older than me, but he looks like he's 20. Big, blonde, surfing-looking guy, muscular. He was a bodybuilder. I hated him immediately. Good-looking, you know, all the things. And, and, but what's something about him, like there was an integrity about him, like we want to cut corners um, in some of the work we did. We worked with munitions, so no big deal if you cut corners with munitions. You know, what could go wrong? So, but his integrity was like, we're not doing that. We're going to do it right, or we're not doing it at all. And I, and I hated that about him because it took time, <laughs> right? But I remember one day I read the scripture after I became a believer, and I remember looking back, and Tom was that in my life. He was an aroma of life. There was something about him that drew me to him. I was like, you know, I've got a man crush on him, and it's bothering me a little bit, right, because I grew up in the South, and you're not supposed to have those. And I was like, there's something about Tom that's really quite amazing, <laughs> And he was good looking, which was why it was confusing for me. You understand where I'm going with all this, right? <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, when he would show that integrity and that strength of character, I hated him because what it did is it, shine, it was shining a light on my brokenness. And I hated it until I became a believer. And when I became a believer, I understood one reason why I hated that aroma of life in him was because without Jesus, there was no possibility for me to have that life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, which was the life I was living. But Jesus said, I came to bring life and life more abundantly. It was aroma. So as you go into this holiday season, as you find maturity and this hope begins to be realized in you more and more as a believer, you become an aroma of life unto life. Some people are going to go, man, you're the reason I gave my life to Jesus. And to others, they're going to despise you because you uncover in them the brokenness that they want to hide. Now, here's the thing. If you know that, you can sometimes push past that and even challenge and go, look, um, <laughs> um, you think you're broken. Let me tell you my story, right? The, the Australian version, that's not a knife. This is a knife, right? It's like you get to have that story with people, and they realize how powerful Jesus really is, and then you become life that actually leads to life. So here's the thing, though, is if you choose not to do that, if you withdraw from the world because of its brokenness, because maybe that brokenness in the world reminds you too much of the brokenness that was in you, the danger is then there's no light in the dark places. So if you're wondering, sometimes I remember this. I'm like, God, why you, do you have me in such a dark place? Like all these people are against me. And like think how dumb that is to say, God, why have you taken this beautiful light that's Jesus inside of me and put it in a dark place? 
I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so, he didn't say this. This is my own cynical mindset. I don't know, maybe because he wants them to see light. But I suffer. It makes me feel bad. Well, put your big boy pants on or big disciple pants on, whatever you would call it, and man up. Gird up the loins, right? Like the art of manliness teaches us to do, right? Well, actually the Bible, but get ready and be prepared and recognize that you're going to have to push back against some darkness, but you are the only one to do it because you're not doing it alone. There's someone inside you who will do it with you and for you. So let me, last scripture, I promise. It says, Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The good news is there is hope in you because Jesus lives in you. And if Jesus lives in you, he can live in others also. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray over us. And again, my challenge to you this morning especially is when these, you know, these moments come of despair or that negative feeling is amplified, please don't dismiss it. Please don't walk away from that. Recognize it as a moment that God is trying to capture your attention about something and, and feel deeply about it. But don't just feel deeply about it. Go back to the promises that God has about what it is that you've experienced. You know, the Bible says in Revelation, if you're experiencing deep loss during the holidays, and most people will to some degree. I know my mom died over 30 years ago now. And there are moments during the holidays, because it was also her birthday right around Christmas, they're just not very often, but every once in a while, this moment of, of all the loss of the 30-something years that I've not had with my mom, the, 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 the time that the enemy, through death and through cancer and through all the negative things, took from me because my mom, she's with Jesus now, and I love it, but there's moments where I feel that deeply. And I, I used to would just push it aside, you know, go get a latte or whatever, you know, just try to ignore it. But what I discovered was when I went deep and said, hey, that longing there, there's an answer to that because the depth of sorrow that I feel, Jesus promised to me was there's coming a day when every tear is going to get wiped away. No, All the loss, all the brokenness, everything that happened, all those things, because of what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago, he will make all things right. So the promise is to you. The promise is to your kids. It's an inheritance that belongs to you. So don't dismiss those those moments. And also don't dismiss the moments where you find yourself feeling like Ralphie right before he gets his, you know, his BB gun. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're like, ah, and then he sees it and his life is good and everything, <laughs> right? There are moments where you feel that that is a reminder that the promise God has made in you is true. And maybe it hasn't come to pass yet, but if you grab hold of that in that anticipation, push away the hurriedness of the world that you're in and remember that the promise God made is true because he's the only one who will keep his promises 100%. Amen? Let this season be different. So Jesus, we come to you and we say thank you. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Lord, thank you that you came and you paid a price we couldn't pay, Lord. Our brokenness, our hurt, Lord, it was leading literally to, to destruction, not just here in this world, but in the world to come. And Jesus, because of what you did, 
Lord, you rescued us, not just for eternity, but you rescued us now, Lord. And we're like that son who comes back to the father, thinking, Lord, that we took our inheritance and we wasted it. And, Lord, we're reminded that our father is so much more wealthy than we ever imagined. So, Lord, remind us of the inheritance that you've placed inside of us as believers because of what Jesus did on the cross. And, Lord, let it make us thankful. Let us dig deep, Lord, for the hope that's in us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, as always, our ministry team will be up here. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week.